Whether it be in the New South Wales Ranges, Riverside in the Northern Territory, above treeline in New Zealand or Colorado, or in the tundra of Alaska, Hunting Camp is where the best stories are shared. Join me as I bring some of these stories to you, along with tips and techniques from some of the known and not so well known hunters of Australia and around the world. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. We all had an absolute ball. There was there's plenty of stories that come out of that trip, and um, yeah, there isn't. I've been to a fair few countries now, and there is nothing that really compares to sitting around the fire on a cold winter night, drinking beers around the fire, talking about what happened that day, and listening to the zebras whooping in the background. And um, it's there's nothing that compares to that. Africa is very very special. It doesn't matter whether you're in South Africa or or elsewhere, I'm, I'm sure that there's more wild places to the north of South Africa. But, um, yeah, it is it is very special um, and very special memories for me. Um, and, yeah, that's where it – that was the first overseas trip anyway. That was that was where the – that was when I really got a taste for it and really, really, um, yeah, that was the – I, I, again, that was another turning point. That was another opening of the floodgates and that sort of opened my mind to other things and started to think about – Canada and yeah, other other potential um, other potential hunts. Looking back then, um, after you did Africa, what was the main? Um, I can't say I can't say animal, but what what was the main adventure on the hit list after you did Africa? Because obviously Africa, <coughs> from an Australian bowhunter's point of view, is as you said before, very accessible. It's something that I think everybody talks about and 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 tries to do. From yeah. then, once you tick that one off, what sort of what was the hit list? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and um, yeah, I I honestly um, just through my own experiences, I think we all um, have um, all of us as hunters have natural um, desires and attractions to particular species. There's no doubt about it. And I don't know that whether that's something that comes from our environment, from what we read and watch and see and experience in our lives, or if it's something that's deeper, that's more, um, more in our blood and in our DNA. I don't know. I haven't got a firm view on it. It might be a mix of both, but like, for example, um, like some guys really want to hunt bears. They really want to hunt bears. I don't. I've got no desire to hunt a bear. Yep. I, I really don't have any. I don't. I don't necessarily love bears. I don't. I don't like them really. I've. I've had some close shaves with them over the years, but I. I don't necessarily like them. But I just don't want to hunt one. It doesn't do it for me. Whereas for me, and I think for you too, wild sheep is something that just, like that, really, really gets me going. Oh, um, it, yeah. The well, the ovis the ovis species just for some reason just. Um, just get me really, really excited. I really, really want to hunt wild sheep for some reason, and there's got to be a reason. There's probably there may be several reasons, um, but we all have an attraction to particular species, and and there's and and some more than others. It's just a it's an individual thing, and it's um it's just something that comes naturally to all of us. So at that particular point in time, the the animals that inspired me the most or got me the most excited were were elk and moose that was sort of next on the agenda yep 
and um, there was there was plenty of other species that I dreamed about and that that, that I obviously thought about. But <clears throat> the next sort of yeah, most of the, the next sort of dream hunt at that point in time was was elk and moose, and I kind of had them on the same level. I didn't really um, I didn't really sort of pre- have a massive preference for one over the other, and um, yeah, that was that was the next that was next on the hit list. Yeah, that was a bit of a journey that one too, wasn't it? Yeah, there's I could talk for hours about that journey, but um, <laughs> yeah, I I ended up um, I made the decision to try to try to hunt both on the same hunt, which is which is difficult. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of places in the world which would probably come to a surprise to many, but there's there's not that many places where you can bow hunt elk and and some type of moose in the same area at the same time um there's not a huge amount of overlap not unless you draw uh, a lifetime tag yeah that's right yeah so you got your shyest moose in there's the shyest moose in plenty of places where there's um where there's where there's very accessible elk hunting but getting a shyest moose tag is yes, yeah, yeah not it's not easy for those that don't know it's more or less once in a lifetime if you're lucky yeah yeah so it's probably unlikely any any Australian bow hunter will possibly ever get a shyest moose ever. Um, whereas the most accessible moose are the Canadian moose. Mm-hmm. So, so my my attention was drawn to Canada. Um, the Alaska Yukon moose are obviously the real big fellas up to to the north and the, the northwest, and they're very very expensive. So we did I did look at options up there, but the the coin was just sort of too out of reach. So I sort of decided that the most practical option was to try and hunt a canadian moose and then also hunt elk in an area where you could where you could hunt moose the first hunt we um the first time i ended up hooking up with mate of mine ben chambers who most fellas would know um uh, most people would know i shouldn't say fellas because i'm sure there's some ladies listening um ben and i went over uh with ben's lovely wife jane she came as well um we went for a um, after a lot of umming and ahhing and a lot of research and talking to a lot of outfitters as usual, which is the usual process, really doing the hard yards and really checking everything out, we chose an outfitter who was didn't have a didn't hadn't been operating for a lot of years, didn't have much of a track record, but um, was very affordable for both of us. We we went for the what I would just call the cheaper option um, rather than forking out for the more expensive option. Um, awesome experience, had an absolute blast. Chambers got a moose on the last hour of the last day, which was just still one of my, still one of my favorite moments of my hunting life, being there for that, actually just be, just being there for that moment and seeing his reaction. And after the, after two weeks hunting in those mountains and for him to get it, to, 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 for him to get it done on the last day was just, yeah, you can imagine just the, the emotion and the amount of froth around mm-hmm. camp that that night um and getting the meat out of there was just a major major exercise as any same as any moose kill um i had a horrible experience on that hunt in that i wounded a moose and lost it and um i took a i won't go through the gory details of the of what happened but basically i it was a very um it was a a quartering on shot that i decided to take the moose was coming up a um a cut trail like a like a little headland through a pine forest he was an absolute monster bigger like bigger than one james got and bigger than probably any i've seen on the hoof since um he he came 
my guide was probably 300 metres behind behind me, um, calling him and, and rattling and whatever. And, yeah, he, he just came straight up the, uh, the cut line. Um, I got off the edge of the cut line into some thick timber and didn't have much cover, but he sort of took me by surprise. When they, when they grunt, they surprisingly they when they're further away their grunt sounds louder and when they get closer their grunt actually gets quieter there's something to do with the acoustics with their grunt but yeah, right. he took no. me by surprise a bit and he sort of suddenly he was right there and i was sort of stuck in a bit of an open patch and couldn't move left or right and had to just stay put and get ready to shoot and um i didn't know moose not that i know moose that well now but i've i've hunted him twice now and that was the first time that was my first close encounter he came into about 20 yards and stopped dead still quartering on and I was already at full draw and I was just waiting. I was basically waiting for him to come side on. He just had to take, he had to walk about 10 more meters and he would have been side on and he just would have been smoked side on. Um, but he stopped quartering on and I don't think, I'm not sure if he got a little whiff or whether he saw me. They haven't got the best eyesight. Um, but I held on him for probably 45 seconds, I reckon, maybe almost a minute. And it got to the point where I just, yeah, you, you get to those, all of us have to go through those situations at times where we just have to make a decision. Yep. And my decision on that particular day was to try and pump him uh, quartering on. And I failed and my my arrow hit right on his femur bone and just, just pulled up immediately. Didn't penetrate at all into his chest cavity, so... He just took off into the scrub and knocked the arrow out. Just obviously would have copped a broadhead in the, in the, into his femur. But so I lost a moose, and that was the most. I honestly, I'm not even joking, mate. That was the most. Uh, that would be the most emotionally hardcore thing I've ever been through in my life. Yep. Um, at that point in my time, in that point, of, at that point in my life, um, that was the mo- and still to this day. I've never, ever, ever spun out as much as I did after that because it just absolutely ripped me apart. It just destroyed me absolutely. Yeah, I was just completely – I've been through divorce and it was nothing compared to losing that move. <laughs> it's just not even comparable. Um, so so there was a lot of learnings from that trip um, and the, what, what happened was I went away. We didn't even get a shot on an elk. We didn't, we hunted elk for the first seven days and didn't get a shot. We didn't, uh-huh. we hardly saw one. There's yeah, a lot okay. of wolves in that area and yeah, the elk just weren't there. So the elk, the elk component of the hunt was almost a complete waste of time. Um, just they, we did spot, we did see one huge bull on one particular day, but then he was gone the next day and we didn't see him again. So the elk hunting was pretty, pretty light on. Ben, ben got his moose, or Chambers got his moose, so that was a great outcome, and we were all just stoked for that. So we, at least we got one, at least we got him, and I got my chance and um, and 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 pulled that shot and, and failed there. So at least we had our chances, and we learned a lot from that hunt. What it did was when I got back um, from that hunt, there was only one way to heal that wound. There was, there was only one thing that could heal that wound, and that was to go back. So the next year, I didn't I didn't go back to that outfitter. We weren't we weren't completely pleased with the operation and what we saw and the guides and whatnot. It wasn't quite what we were expecting. The next year, I decided to fork out the extra coin and go with the best of the best and went to um, to Shady River Outfitters in um, Northern BC. Yep. And that hunt was just yeah that'd be I'd say overall that'd be my second favourite hunt of all time. That was just 
absolutely mind-boggling from start to finish and I lucked out and got a really nice elk and a nice moose and it was just an absolute dream hunt. It just feels like a dream now um, when I look when I look back. I'm just I'm I'm talking to you on Skype obviously doing this doing this chat and there's a photo of the exact valley where I got my elk and my moose as the as the background picture on my laptop just where I'm what I'm looking at right now talking to you. They come out and of just, the one valley. Yeah, they're in the same valley, yeah. That's it was just awesome. one absolutely ridiculous valley where there was just, yeah, every, everyone knew that. Everyone knew that that valley was the the little honeypot yep. and it was compared to all the other areas around there. Like we we did 250Ks on horseback from, from point A to point B, so from the furthest camp in their whole concession back to base camp, which is only accessible with a bush plane. And, yeah, so we covered a lot of ground and that we were there right in the peak of the... Um, the rut so we were hearing bugles as we as we went awesome. and there was nothing like that valley it was um it was just a very special area and yeah i could go on for hours about that hunt but that was a very very special hunt mate and that's yeah that's definitely definitely uh, one of my most treasured memories i just want to go back just a little bit because i think this there's a couple of questions there um that i think that you know people will get something out of you kind of answered yep. one. You said you pretty much got home and just rebooked. You said, like, the only way to deal with her. Yeah. What, going through that, what was your biggest disappointment? Was it the fact that, I was just going to put it bluntly, the fact that you didn't have the patience that you really wanted to shoot in broadside? Was that was it that, or was it the fact that you just missed an opportunity directly relating to the amount of money and time and effort that you spent? Yeah. I think more the second one. I think in reality, knowing Moose better now, I should have explained that better, and that's a good question. Knowing Moose better now, if I had have just let down and not not held not held back at full draw, if I had have let down at that distance, he probably wouldn't have even seen me let down. Yep. They're not fallow deer or chittle deer. Mm-hmm. Their eyesight's pretty poor. Their hearing is absolutely amazing, but their their eyesight's quite poor. So I probably could have let down at that point and he probably would not have even seen me. What it probably was, was probably a little tiny bit of a whiff of a whiff of me because the wind was barely moving and the yep. air was the air was hardly moving in that forest. That should be that close. Yeah, particularly that close. So he probably got a whiff of me and just pulled up because he was just on his way in. He was in full rut, just smashing the absolute shit out of every tree, like big trees. He was just like an absolute dinosaur coming up that track. And um, he probably just got a whiff in his nostrils and just pulled up. Had I have just let down and waited, he probably wouldn't have just – I don't think he would have just turned around and bolted at the at, with the whiff that he got. Yeah. He probably would have stuffed around there a bit. He probably would have turned or done something else. So it was a it was a little bit of inexperience um, with in terms of that particular species, and also what you mentioned or what you touched on a second ago that that pressure that comes with um, the pressure that comes with um, hunting uh, or, or undertaking a hunt that costs a lot of money overseas where you know it's probably going to be a once in a lifetime hunt um and that's a really tough thing to deal with when you're going to like for anyone doing a hunt overseas you you can't help it 
you can't avoid that. None of us are loaded. None of us are none of us are filthy rich, and we can't just keep going back time and time and time again. These overseas hunts are really once in a lifetime, and you're going to be very lucky to go back and give it another shot. Um, that by default puts pressure on you. You you can't you can't avoid that. No matter how much you think you can just go and um, just enjoy yourself and take it all in and get plenty of photos and not care about the result of the hunt, you are there to hunt. And you're there to you're there to you've got a very specific goal in mind, and that goal for me on that hunt was to to nail a moose with my bow. I wasn't there just to get photos and, and have fun. Yep. It was that's part of it, same as any hunt. Um, that's a big part of it, and that's obviously a huge part of what we get out of every hunt that we go on. But um, there is that there is that pressure when you when you're talking about. Um, when you're talking about the costs associated with some of these some of these trips, and you've been in that same boat as well before, yep. like, like some of the hunts you've been on, so I think it was a mix of both. Just a little bit of pressure, a little bit of inexperience, and in hindsight, would have done things differently. And also, if the if the shot had a hit, I was using two blade, a very heavy two blade head. If the arrow had have hit an inch either side of where it did, it would have just would have KO'd him. Like he would have, yep. um, yeah, Good even look. with a. I certainly don't encourage quartering on shots, and I, do, I, I almost never take them myself. Very, very rarely. Um, but in that particular moment in time, that was the decision that my brain yeah. yep. made at that particular, in that place, in that moment. That's what I did, and it didn't come off well. Um, I got the worst possible result, and I had to, <laughs> yeah. I had to learn from it. I had to pay for it. And you will. I mean, you'll you'll remember that forever now. You know, you, you're probably not. Yep. You're probably going to show patience next time, or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, it's just, going. That's right. Looking back, and and maybe to try and help someone out that's going into a trip of a lifetime. Is there anything you think you could somehow prepare? I know we've got all different personalities, and you know, killing's not always on the highest agenda for everybody. But let's face it, it's take harvesting the animal is probably why we get over there and do it. Um, that's right is there any kind of help or advice that you could give to anyone that's going on a big trip that can maybe help deal with let's say the disappointment of not harvesting um i think i think being um i think being as prepared as possible and making as many of the right decisions as possible before you get there is the key thing um there are going to be, if you're going to do, a, 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 like, these hunts are hard, as you know, and as a lot of guys know, like elk, are, elk, for instance, are the most unsuccessfully hunted species in the world each year. And Ten, a lot of people don't realise that. 10% they, uh, with, with archery gear, for anyone that doesn't yeah, know, over all the tags you know, sold. You would know better than anyone else probably that I know of, but they are the most... <laughs> Isn't that incredible? They're the most unsuccessfully, mm-hmm. like more people fail on elk hunts per year than any other species in the world. Um, and a lot of, I think a lot of us are a little bit, particularly in the Australian scene, a lot of us are a little bit naive about um, what it's actually going to be like when we get there, what to expect, um, and the the gap between what we perceive or what we imagine in our brains based on magazine articles and videos and YouTube and whatever compared to what it's actually like when you get there and you're on the ground, uh, it's, there's quite a big gap there. Um, the other thing is that 
yeah, we we unfortunately have quite a bad reputation overseas, particularly in places like the States and Canada and probably Europe and other places as well. Aussies and Kiwis have got quite a bad reputation for being um, really sour after hunts that aren't successful um, because we sort of we have these expectations and we a lot of us don't. Overseas, overseas particularly, hunting is a rich man's sport. Like in the States and Canada and Europe and whatever, like um, the, a lot of hunters have sort of got a lot of money to play with, so it's not a big deal if they have to go back again and especially do it on the again. trophy but hunting us, side, particularly on the trophy hunting side. But for us, it's not like that. We don't. The Aussie guys are the Aussie. The general Aussie bow hunter um, is much different to that, and we've got we're high we're we're high on emotion. We're high on expectation, and we we. We're probably doing a hunt that we've saved really hard for and, and done a lot of work for and sacrificed a lot for. So there's a lot there's a lot on the line, a massive amount on the line. Um, and often when things don't go to plan, when guides aren't up to expectation or too inexperienced or you're not seeing animals or there's a whole range of different things that can go wrong on a hunt overseas. We're, 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 we've got a bad reputation for getting very sour. And, and making it all the the outfitters fold or all the guides fold or whatever, which is which is a bit of a shame. But I think that's just a just part of yeah, it's just part of the culture and part of the it's part of the reality of the difference between what we're used to in our country and the hunting the hunting opportunities that we've got and how easy we've got it compared to other places and what the reality is when you when you go overseas. I don't think there's any magic potion for dealing with a, with a failure or dealing with um, something going wrong. Um, I think all you can do is you owe it to yourself to do everything you possibly can beforehand to get it right in your preparation. So to me, that starts with getting the right area or, or finding the right area, um, really being confident in the in the outfitter or the, or the guide or the, the place that you're going, whether it's you might be going unguided, you might be going DIY. You've really got to have confidence in, in the area you're going to for the species that you're targeting and you've got to have absolute confidence in your yourself in terms of your body and your mind and your gear and your shooting um those things are key and um yeah if you're if you're going to if you're going to put all that effort into doing it overseas or you're going to fork out the money or you're going to it's, it's obviously a, a huge commitment. If you're going to do that, you owe it to yourself to do all those things properly. You totally do. Um, and I can't really talk really for all of those because I'm never fit enough. And people will laugh at me probably, but I'm never, ever fit enough for anything. Um, but I at least make some effort and I always get to where I need to go. I always, I always get to where the animals are. I haven't had, I've always found where the animals are, so I haven't had any dramas there yet. But I could, be, I could always be fitter. Um, and shooting wise, I, I always feel comfortable for a hunt. I'd, I've never, I've never been on a hunt where I have been not happy with how I was shooting before I went and same with gear. That's what, that's probably one thing I think I do relatively well is, is I know I've got the gear in my bag when I, when I'm at the airport, I know I've got what I need to manage every situation and every weather event and whatever, like you've got to. Gear's not everything. You don't have to work. You don't have to be wearing the most expensive camo and have the most expensive tent and blah blah blah. You don't need all that, but you need to have. You need to be able to 
manage each situation. You need to be prepared with your, with the equipment that you have. So I think that's a critical thing as well. I had one said to me, you know, you don't have to have the best gear, but as far as the dollar value, you need to have the best gear for the job. Yep. And what I've found is, and it's only through experience, I've found that if you pay the money and get the good gear, if you figure out what the good gear is and pay the money for it once, it's going to last you a long time right, rather right. than buying gear that's fairly average in its in its quality and having to upgrade quite soon after and that's one thing that's one thing i've learned like if you if you go and buy a really good tent a really good sleeping bag um a good a really good backpack blah 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 like those those main bits of gear that you need if you've got if you've got a really good piece of gear that's going to last um it's well and truly going to pay for itself same as boots rain jackets blah 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 all those things like they will pay for themselves over time just jumping back um, a little bit again, you you mentioned that you know when you look into the outfitters the first year, you you kind of went the not so known, a little bit cheaper um, over the guy that you know obviously you know, been around forever and those kind of things. I mean, you know, I've yeah. I've used and, and using still you know a guy that wasn't really known but he was referred to me um, a little bit cheaper and it's turned out absolutely fantastic and and. Or continue to use him, and he's becoming a good friend, um, very good friend. Um, do you regret the decision in going that way and not going the the so called known outfitter straight up, or do you just think it was no. one of them, just one of them experiences? No, I don't regret. There's, I don't, there's very few things that I regret in my life at any at any <laughs> at any stage. But I, yeah, you can't sort of, yeah. I, I mean, we're hunting, so. Yeah, we yeah. There's so many unknowns, isn't yep. there? Like with hunting, there's just so many unknowns. If you're gonna, if you're gonna decide to go and bow hunt an animal anywhere in the world, whether it's a rabbit in your backyard or a bighorn sheep in Canada, there are so many different unknowns, and and you have to accept that. If you want to play the game, you have to roll the dice, and um, and choosing an outfitter is is part of that. So. We had an awesome that first hunt. Like we had an awesome trip. Don't get me wrong. Like yep. we had such a ball. We had an amazing experience. That was our first. It was my first trip in Canada. Same for Chambers and, and Jane. Um, we had an absolute ball. The hunting the hunting wasn't amazing for the for the elk, and we both got an opportunity on a moose. And and that's probably more. It's pretty good than what. It's still pretty good. A lot of people wouldn't even get that. Um, and it was good value for money. The guides were okay i've seen better and i've also been with really what you'd call more expensive outfitters and and had guides less experienced than them so you, yeah. it's luck of the draw particularly when you're talking about canada and 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 the states like it's really in terms of your guides it's it can be quite luck of the draw over there you can have a guide that it's his first it's his first year and he might have done a lot of hunting and whatever but he may not know the area or you may get someone that's been hunting that same bit of country for the last 20 years. You just don't know what you're going to get in terms of your guide. And everywhere is different. Every yeah. country is different. That's one thing I've learned. Like we're, we're sort of focused a bit there on, I guess, on Canada. Um, things vary a lot when you go to other countries, like you talk about Spain or, or um, yeah, or Africa or Argentina or Bulgaria or um, these sort of different places like you the whole scene changes again like in mm. terms of your guides and the type of experience and what the risks are and what, yeah, how much, 
um, how much sort of variability there is in 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 your overall experience. Like it changes everywhere you go. But um, I yeah, think no, definitely no regrets, mate. That was it was just a learning. It was, it was a learning exercise. That's good to hear. I think the biggest thing, you know, to to help people when they are doing these things is ask questions. Don't assume. Yeah. Um, make sure you say that you're a bow hunter. I, I, I don't know how many yeah. stories I've heard. You know, people have gone rocked up to an outfit, and it's it's you know they haven't had a bow hunter in there for five years. You know, and they're yeah. they're trying to chase That's sheep scary. or something, or you know, elk or something. Just you know, do the Aussie thing. Be nice, yeah. sociable, like we all are. They you know they love talking to us over there. Um, you know, no matter what country you're in, and just to ask yeah. questions. You don't have to be arrogant about it, but I'm sure that's helped you out. You know, with, with booking some of your hunts. Absolutely. Communication is absolutely key. You've got to communicate well yourself. You can't expect them to just give you all the answers without you asking the questions. Um, you need to be very, very clear on everything and make sure that your expectations and understanding of what you're getting is completely, completely clear. It needs to be crystal clear. I've learned over the years that I, I now judge outfitters and guides and and different characters in the hunting industry a lot by their communication yep if they don't if if they're lazy to answer an email or quite slow or don't only answer half your questions or whatever they're gone there's just i i can't i don't have time to muck around with people who can't communicate properly if they if they if they respond quickly and they answer all your questions and they seem like they're actually keen to to do something for you they want your business well that's good that we're, we're off on the right we're on the right track the other thing that i think that people don't do well enough in australia and i've seen plenty of horror, i don't i don't have many horror stories luckily but I've, I've seen a couple of others that i can think of in recent years people really um should talk to other guys we're, we're a pretty close-knit community we all know each other and we all um we're all quite accessible to each other these days through social media and just mates of mates and whatever but just talk to people who have been there and done that or have or have or have um done the research or done the hard yards you'll get a lot of information out of out of people um and people are quite willing most blokes are quite willing to pass on that knowledge and that information i think so many guys have made the mistake of just seeing an ad in a magazine for a particular outfit or in a particular country and just go oh wow this looks good bang booked it gone and it's been um substandard um, it's been I've seen several cases of that in the last few years, and um, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna fork out the money and you're gonna if you're gonna take that step of doing a of doing a hunt overseas, you you want to get it right. So you want to draw on every resource you've got around you, and that's that includes people within our own community who have um, yeah who who may have a bit of knowledge. Yeah. There's plenty of us now. There's there's we've between us all in Australia now we've covered most country like we've covered most. Like we've we've probably covered every country that you can legally bow hunt in now, I'd say, and yeah. definitely every continent. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, the knowledge is, the knowledge is out there, and yeah, I don't think people should be afraid to talk to other people, and yeah, just 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 try and um, yeah, try and draw that knowledge from other other people. Yeah, I think when it comes to that, you know, there, there's no such thing as a silly question when it comes into yeah, you because know, I know a few people sort of said, oh, I didn't want to ask that, and and I've been. Yeah, you know, I'll put my hand up. I've been, well, I, you know, I didn't really want to ask that. You know, it seems like a silly question, but no, they don't look at it that way anyway. No, there's absolutely no, yeah, 
that there's no need there's just no it makes no sense for anyone to feel that or think that like there's no yeah there's no silly questions so like it's Definitely. it's no. pretty complex it's pretty complex stuff and it's pretty serious stuff too like yep. we're not we're we're talking about once in a lifetime dream hunts like it's not yeah we're not just going down the road to yeah to chase a few rabbits or something like we're doing something that's a, a, a dream um a dream hunt that may only happen once in your life so you, you you need to put in all the effort and yeah nothing is a nothing is a silly question definitely Talk, not talking about dream hunts you've you have done one that is probably top of my list um you were lucky enough to to go and chase the bighorn the rocky mountain bighorn sheep um you know that's if for anyone knows that's that's probably my number one um well like all the sheep species but the, the bighorn the rocky mountain that's uh that's right up there what made you push the button? What I, I, you know, obviously it was a big leap in your hunting career to do that. But um, was it purely just one of them ones? It's like I'm just going to go and do this. Well, the honest, the honest answer to that is I got divorced. That was what made me push the button. That's a simple answer. That'll do. But, but um, no. To give you more background, I um, you've obviously got the bug a little bit as well, and as do many people around the world, but. Um, bighorn sheep, like other sheep species as well, but bighorn Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep, um, were just embedded in my brain from a very young age as my uh, absolute holy grail in terms of all the species in the world. I think it was, I think it was probably the mid '90s when we first got the internet at, at my house when I was a kid. I used to do a little bit of, I don't think Google was even around then, but I used to do a little bit of research and check out different hunts around the world and just used to, you know what I mean? Like just, just yeah. looking around, searching different hunts. And I remember seeing photos of, of photos of guys with bighorn sheep and just going, my God, that's just, that's as good as it gets. And that was, um, it was, it was, it was very, it was a very early age that I was just, really really obsessed with that particular animal for some reason more than way more than any other animal um like i've been obsessed with many different species and i've hunted them and 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 chased them and whatever but i've never been so obsessed with one species um for me they've they've always been on a completely different level and i remember when i was about 12 or something there was a bloke up hanging there was a bloke up in the townsville sort of bow hunting scene his name was Yuri Ivan and, and I'm surprised I even managed to remember his name but he used to do a bit of artwork back in those days and I remember once at a shoot in Townsville he had a bit of artwork there on display and um, he had this beautiful sketch of a bighorn sheep of a ram and um, I asked my parents if they could please buy it I didn't have any coin in those days and I asked them if they could buy it for me please and they gave it to me for my birthday and anyway that sketch of that bighorn ram has followed me around to every house I've ever lived in my whole life and that has always that that animal has always been my um ultimate ultimate goal um it just isn't there has never been anything that I hope to achieve that's sort of higher than than that long story short <clears throat> um it was late 2012 um was it late 2012 yeah yeah, late 2012, I'd I'd been talking to um, the blokes at um, Bow Hunting Safari Consultants, Mark Bure, and and uh, just just 
just sort of sussing it out and just checking out the options and had been doing a lot of research on different areas and different options for hunting sheep. I had sort of done the background research in terms of where you could hunt and how hard it was to draw a tag and um, had, had joined up with um, Grand Slam Club Ovis and started to go into the draws and sort of worked out what my odds were here and there and yeah done the background you know like and as you've done without you you've done the same without you you know them back to front i'd figured it all out and i sort of soon realized that the my chances of drawing a tag in my lifetime were basically zero it would probably be better off I'd, in in reality i would be better off putting that money into just gold lotto and trying to trying to win gold lotto like Pretty the much. chances would actually be better yeah um so really, the, if I, I realised in that at that point that the only option would be, or the only realistic option of ever, ever living that particular dream was to go to Canada and hunt with an outfitter in Canada and pay for the pay for the tag. And I'm not even going to mention what, what that sort of figure is, and it's still climbing. Um, it's, getting, it's getting higher it's getting every crazy. year. Yeah, it was just, it was just really, really... Um, yeah, not not even close to affordable. Like I'm talking, you could buy a very very good quality Ute for the same price, and I definitely I definitely knew it was completely unaffordable, and it was just something that I, I floated the idea with my then wife, but that just went nowhere really. And yeah, I was I I I didn't have much hope of ever living that dream. But then fast forward a few months, uh, relationship went to went to shit. Um, separated from my wife it was a it was a bad breakup and I was suddenly single and had a very good job and knew of one little remedy that could <laughs> that could make me <laughs> that could make me feel very 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 happy about life and I went down to the bank the day that she moved out of the house I went down to the bank and put a six grand deposit on that hunt beautiful and that just turned my life like it, it just gave me a it just gave me this huge, big beacon to look forward to, and no matter what bullshit was happening around me, um, I had that to look forward to, and was very, very, um, yeah, very positive, regardless of whatever else was going on. Yeah. And I could talk for hours about what that was in terms of an emotional um, roller coaster um, and a and a psychological experience. Yeah. The, the years leading up to that hunt, because it, obviously I booked it three years before I went. Um, that was, Alberta, that was Alberta, wasn't it? Yeah, the Canmore Bozone, which is a very famous, um, yep. it's a very, very well-known, it's really the place to hunt bighorn sheep with a bow. It's a bow-only area uh, near the uh, town of Canmore. And it is only one of the is... only tags you can actually buy, yeah. apart yeah, from a governor's few... tag or something like that. That's right. So the the outfitters in that Canmore Bozone own the rights to the, well, they own the tags, Yep. And it's a bow-only zone. So there is... Oh, I should really know that off by heart, but I've forgotten. I think there's 12 tags per year yep. in that area. Um, I think there's 12. Yeah, I should know that. But anyway, it's a very limited number. One outfitter... There's, there's, there's usually two or three outfitters that have the tags, but the bloke I went with, I chose... He has two per year. Um, so he only runs two bonus per year. And... Um, yeah, it's one of those hunts that's it's got a not the greatest success rate. So some years they go two for two, some years they go none for none, some years they don't see a single legal ram for the whole season. 
Um, so with with bighorn sheep, for those that don't know, they have to be a they've got to have a particular curl in their horn and have a particular length um, to be legal. So they've got to be a certain size for you to be able to shoot, and the guide has to be absolutely a thousand percent sure that that thing is legal before you shoot. So there's no room for error. Um, and you have no idea what's going to come out of those mountains. Um, it's bitterly, bitterly cold. Um, some days were, some days you're just completely whited out. You can't see five meters from the from the snow and and fog and whatever. Um, it's a tough hunt. It's yeah. It's in terms of an overall hunt, like the, the from the beginning to end, there's not much that's really tougher than that that I can think of um, in terms of the conditions and the animals and yeah, every every aspect. But um, yeah, I could talk. I could talk to you for hours about that, mate. But I think the bottom line is that um, yeah, just the the yeah, I guess the psychological build up to that to that hunt. And then when I was there, like actually when it finally came to the day, and I went and um, and hiked up the mountain, and um, as each day passed, we yeah, we didn't see. We didn't see a lot of rams. Um, How many day hunts was it? Um, we had 14 days, mm-hmm. and there was the ability to stay there for later um, at a particular fee per day. But I think I started on the 11th of November, and the season ended on the 30th. So I had a. Oh, you are late. I had about like after my 14 days that the hunt included, I still had a few days up my sleeve if I needed it. <clears throat> but I was very lucky to get a shot on the 11th day and got my ram on the 11th day out of 14. Um, but yeah, that, that Take really it. changed me, that hunt like that, that, um, changed my whole perspective on bow hunting really like it, it, um, and not, not in a negative way. Um, it just, I remember what I used to be like before that hunt and how crazy I used to be and how much, um, yeah, how do I explain it? I used to, I used to get really, really obsessed about things and really excited and, um, was just, once I had a goal in my mind, there was no, there was no stopping me. And, um, there was, there was just endless, endless passion and yeah. But since, since that hunt, I, feel like I've sort of passed the um I've you've, kind of passed the top of the mountain I'm, and I'm sort of like going downhill now you've mellowed still I've mellowed big time mate <laughs> that's what it's done it's mellowed me it's just chilled me out it's chilled me right out I yep. still still love hunting I'm never going to stop hunting till I till I die there's still plenty of goals um that I have and there's still plenty of animals I want to hunt and things I want to experience and whatever but I just I, yeah, it's really mellowed me out. That's what it's done. I just don't, I don't, I don't have the same approach to things anymore. I still take everything seriously, but I, yeah, it really, yeah, it really um, affected me very, very deeply. And obviously, that's that was my favourite hunt of all time. It was the biggest goal I'm ever going to have in this, in in my hunting life. That's the biggest thing I'm ever going to aim for. There's nothing above that for me. And um, yeah, I, I'm just, it was very, like coming out of that hunt without an animal, without it, or maybe without even getting a shot or without even seeing a legal ram would have obviously been really, really, really hard to take for a hunt like that. And I had to prepare for that outcome um, psychologically for three years before that. So you can imagine sort of the build up, trying to, 
yeah, the build-up, you know, like trying to prepare for that, for the two different outcomes. It was outcome one and outcome two. And preparing your brain for for that, um, yeah, it was, it was a real experience, mate. It was a really crazy, it was, a, it, was a, it was probably the most craziest experience of my life so far. The, the whole exercise from the, from the moment that I booked the hunt to the moment when I was standing over that ramp. Um, yeah, very, very crazy experience. And I wouldn't change anything for the world. That was one of the most epic field photos I've ever seen. <laughs> that sheep in that whiteout was oh. that kind of... Obviously, I've heard, you know, I've spoken to you many times about that story, but... You know, when when you do jump right into the story, that photo actually explains the whole hunt, like with weather and the. Mm. I mean, you can elaborate more on that, but that really set up for what you've just been through. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I've never. I've like I've had some really awesome moments. You know, like I've had so many cool moments where I've like, had super high adrenaline and pulled off a good shot, and like there's been. Yeah, there's been many, many magic moments, but that was just in a league of its own, and it's really hard to explain. I wish I could, I wish I could articulate better um, what it was like, but it's very, very difficult. Like I just, I'll, um, yeah, it's 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 hard to articulate because there's just so much that goes into that, and so much, there's so much sacrifice, and um, so much of I put so much of my life into that outcome and and i came out on top came out with the with the result and um paulie's paulie southwell's mounting him at the moment he's i think he's almost done so there's going to be a day very soon where i'll be able to um be seen mounted on his on his rock full full body mount so i'm pretty pretty excited about being reunited with him sometimes that's gonna be be awesome it's (laughs) sometimes when you look back at those things that there's just not words you kind of have to experience it you know, um, there's moments that you just got to experience. You can't actually put it in words to say what it feels yeah, like. You yeah. know what I mean? That's very difficult. I'd, any other animal that I've hunted, I could, I can tell you exactly how I felt and exactly what happened. And yeah, that was that was just in a class of its own. Yeah, like I, yeah, it's just real proper fairy tale stuff. Just a proper, real, real fairy tale. The whole way it played out, and you probably, I think most of the most of the guys who listen to your podcast probably get Arrowhead magazine and read that. So the story's in the latest one anyway. So that gives you, that'll give people a fair idea of, I tried to, I tried to articulate it as best I could in that story anyway. So if you get a copy of Arrowhead, you can, um, you can check it out in there. Yeah. Check that one out. And, um, and just on Arrowhead too, that's, it is a really good one to, you know, check out some of these, you know, overseas hunts that we get out and do. And, and it's a good information sort resource because the boys that are involved in that, including yourself, have been there and done it so you know that's what i really like about that mag that they're, they're they're talking about stuff they know a little plug for yeah the boys there. yeah dougie's dougie's doing an awesome job it's um it's gone ahead and leaves and bounds the last or since he's taken over I, I think he's doing a top job so um yeah good yeah shout out to doug for yeah for for doing such a uh, awesome job on the on the magazine yeah Premier Premier Boeing magazine out of Australia, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. You know, I'm, we'll be catching up with Doug. Um, uh, it'll come out probably February, but I'll, I'll be travelling to the ATA with with him and Brad Murphy. So, 
Oh, that'll be a cracker. It's going to be a loose time, but uh, we're going to we're going to drop a couple episodes while we're over there, and um, you know, it'll be obviously along the gear lines, and and um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. So haven't seen the boys for that'll a few be, years. That'll be yeah, that'll be a lot of fun, mate. Good on you. You'll enjoy that. Yeah, it's going to be a good one, mate. Just um, just recently, you've you know you really threw a spanner in the works when it comes to countries to hunt. Um, Bulgaria. I mean, I wouldn't have picked that one as a, you know, as a hunting destination, so to speak. But you know, after seeing the uh, the photos that have come through and and what you sent me, you know, um, on the side there, you know, what happened the day before and things like that. Tell us a bit more about that. Um, seems like an epic place. Yeah. Well, it really is. It 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 absolutely is. It's um um my mind's been absolutely blown over there big time. Like it's been blown many times before, but that's, it's been blown big time this time hunting over there. And, um, it's an interesting story. I hadn't really sort of thought too much about Bulgaria, um, for this year. I knew I'd heard of it. (laughs) So that's a start, but (laughs) in terms of hunting, I hadn't really looked into it too much and it wasn't really on the, on the radar at all. Um, I had stumbled across a few websites and seen maybe one or two things in the past, but it just wasn't sort of, there was nothing really attracting me to the place really. Um, this year I started a new job in Greece. So I, w- I actually work over in Greece. I do one month on one month off. So I go back to Australia for one month and then, and then fly back to Greece for a month. I work on a uh, pipeline construction project over there. So we're building a pipeline across across Greece it runs from Azerbaijan to Italy so it's about 3,000 k's long but I, mean, I won't go into that I was where I'm based in Greece is very close to the Bulgarian border towards the east of Greece so you've got I work right next to the Turkish border and um, the Bulgarian border is not far away either from where I'm where I'm based as soon as I got to Greece I realized that bow hunting was not uh, generally permitted in Greece it, it's very difficult to get a permit the authorities are pretty um, there's, there's, I won't, I won't say that I won't use the word corrupt, but it's, it's a little bit dodgy. There are, you can get permits and people have got permits in the past, but it's bow hunting's basically off the, off the agenda. Yep. I looked at Bulgaria and started to research a few websites of different outfitters up there and just started to get a bit of a, get a, get a bit of a gist of what was happening up there and, um, sent a few emails out. Long story short, got a few, got a few replies and, yeah, started to realise that yeah, they had mouflon there, and mouflon, mouflon was one species that I was was really high on my hit list in the last few years, and um, that wouldn't they, be that sheep I'm talking again, would it? Yeah, mouflon sheep, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they, they they've been very high on the hit list for years. So they've got free range mouflon there. They've got absolutely phenomenal red stags there. Um, very good fallow, almost almost matching what's over in um, Hungary. They've got wild boars, which most European countries have got, and they've also got Balkan Balkan chamois, um, and they've got wolves and and different bits and p- roe deer as well. Good, really good yeah. roe deer hunting. So they've got quite a variety of European game there. Um, I sent a few emails out, got a few replies, had a, decided on an outfitter, so I immediately got a good vibe from one of them, and they're called Bulgarian Hunt Service. Um, Konstantin Kotsev is the is the head guy there started to exchange a few emails with uh, Constantine and um, 
yeah, when I sort of looked at my schedule for the rest of the year in terms of work, I realised that I just didn't have any spare time to go this year and was a little bit um, a little bit devastated that I wouldn't be able to fit it in because I was quite excited about going there and, yeah, sort of had come to the conclusion that I wouldn't be able to go. Anyway, I think I explained this to you earlier today when we were having a yarn before, the, before our chat, but with work, I found out from my contracting agency that I had to not come back to Greece for a period of five days after a break um, because of a, a tax visa type issue. So I, I, I hadn't overstayed my visa, but I had to make sure that I didn't re-enter Greece for, for five days, um, which, which basically put five days up my sleeve, which I had to burn somehow. <laughs> and I, ha- I happened to be in Cuba with the missus, with my girlfriend, I should say, fiance, liar. Uh, we'd been over there on a holiday in, in Cuba and I could have either stayed in the US and done something for a few days over there or, or go gone hunting. to, or go hunting in Bulgaria. So, because <laughs> Bulgaria is outside this, where this rule applies. So the, the tax rule doesn't apply in Bulgaria. So anyway, I, it was a very easy decision to make and a horrible situation to be in. I felt very mm. sorry for myself. Yeah. Um, so I got in touch with Constantine and said, mate, I've got five days up my sleeve. I'm coming up your way. He put me into a spot. I didn't have very high expectations, to be honest. I, I'd, um, yeah, I just didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. Um, yeah, I, I was mainly going there just to basically have fun and see a different culture, really, and just see what it was like. And the good thing was that where he was able to put me um, is only about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from where I live in Greece. So it was going to be an easy exercise to get back to work and get stuck into work again. So... Flew to Bulgaria, had to change my flights, flew to Bulgaria, went there, and from the day dot, or from the time I got there and saw what I saw to the time I left, I was just absolutely uh, complete froth overload. It was just every single aspect of that hunt was just way, way beyond what I was expecting. It was a blowout. I not only managed to nail a nice move on, which only happened on the last day, uh, I was just lucky to get a shot on the very last day, but... Also got a stalk on a on a on a really nice European boar and nailed him, um, which I wasn't expecting. I was hoping to I was just hoping to see a boar. I I um, definitely wasn't expecting to see as many as I did. The numbers and quality that I did was just phenomenal. Um, the thing about Bulgaria is they they really have every species um, or all, all the main European species are there. So there are different types of chamois. So there's, there's several different types of chamois through Europe and across into Turkey. There's about five or six different subspecies of chamois, but they're all fairly similar to what we're all used to in New Zealand. Okay. So they only have the one, which is the Balkan chamois. Um, they don't have any of the ibex. So Spain Spain has four different subspecies of ibex, and then you've got the alpine ibex, which lives in Switzerland and Austria and Italy. They do have some alpine ibex um, in fenced estates, but there's none free range there. But everything else is there. So you've got beautiful red stags, beautiful fallow, awesome roe deer, um, and plenty of boars. And the thing about Bulgaria is it's just absolutely cheap as chips compared to the other European countries. So it's wow. very, very very just so surprising how affordable it is. Um, you'd be you'd be like you're, you're paying way, way. I can't think of a hunt that's better value for money in the world. 
and I'm talking about anything like in, except for a DIY hunt in New Zealand, which is which costs mm-hmm. you nothing. Yep. I can't think of a guided hunt in the world that's better value for money. And like I said to you before, if I was to fill out a scorecard for all the different aspects of of the hunt, so when I when I talk about aspects of a hunt, I, I'm talking about the the, the culture that you experience, um, the people that you meet, the, the service, the food, the accommodation, um, the, the, the country that you're hunting in, uh, the vehicles that you, you're cruising around in, um, the scenery, the number of animals, the quality of the animals, all of those different things um, which, which come into play. Um, I would mark those two hunts that I've recently done in Bulgaria, the highest out of any hunt I've done overseas in my life. That's awesome um, to hear. They, they are that good. It was a major surprise. I, I really wasn't expecting it. And, um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a backwater, I think. I haven't heard many – I've never heard of any Aussies talking about Bulgaria before. I've never – No. Even, even the Yanks and the Canadians and that I haven't really – I've never really seen much on Bulgaria. The Europeans definitely know about it because most of their clientele's sort of German people and okay. uh, other just hunters from other European nations. And and the the hunting culture in Europe is just completely unique. It's just such an amazing experience seeing them do hunting the way they do. It's totally different to Canada and the States, um, where there's where there's quite a specific type of hunting culture and it's quite it's it's quite its own just like we yeah. have our own sort of culture in, in our country but um europe it goes back um there's more history there in terms of modern hunting culture than any other place in the world so their traditions and their their way of doing things um is there's more there's more background and more tradition to compared to any other country so it's really an amazing experience and um, I could, I could, uh, again, I could talk for a, a while about this topic, but I'll tell you what, if, if you or anyone listening wants to experience a hunt in Europe, um, Spain's awesome, but it's quite expensive. If you really want to hunt an Ibex, there's, there's good options in Spain that are quite affordable. Um, France, yes, you can hunt roe deer and bits and pieces. It's, there are opportunities there. Um, and same as Hungary, you can go and hunt big fallow in Hungary. You're going to pay an arm and a leg for a big one. Um, and there's other species as well in Hungary. But there's only certain countries you can hunt in Europe with a bow. You're quite limited with the countries you can hunt. Um, and the majority of options are very expensive and they're going to be well out of reach for, for 99% of people. Bulgaria is affordable for pretty much everyone that I know, for all of those species. So more than happy to help anyone out that wants to that wants a hand to go and chase european boars or mouflon or red deer or whatever it may be um yeah if anyone wants a hand or wants to be put in, pointed in the right direction i'm more, more than happy to help out it is just absolutely off its head absolutely crazy that's awesome mate. I, I think i'm going to put that on the bucket list before uh before <laughs> africa mate so i think uh bulgaria's gonna that sounds like me you know chasing boars and fallow and red so it's uh Tell you what, awesome. those boars, when you see European boars, like those real proper original European boars doing their thing in their natural habitat, um, yeah, they just, the, the hackles on the back of your neck just stand up. They are, like, we love our boars in Australia, like it's bread and butter for us, and we, yep. 
there's no one that doesn't love hunting boars that I know of. Like they're just such a just such part of our our tradition and part of our bow hunting heritage. Boars boars is it. But those European ones, there's just something very, very special about them, eh? Seeing, seeing them walk around, they're just something else. Yeah, I suppose, you uh-huh. know, there's there's something about it, you know, Red Deer Majestic and, you know, Elk and, and go down the lines. But I suppose, a, yeah. you know, a European boar in his homeland doing his own thing, um, that's going to be yeah. something pretty special as well, I reckon. Forests, the forests and the mountains and the cult, like it. Yeah, the, the, just the scenery and the, the little town where I was based there called Devon. Um, yeah, it's just, once again, it's just like yeah, being in a dream, being in a different, just being in a completely different world. Um, so, yeah, I'd, yeah, I could I could go on for, I could go on for hours. I'm not joking. I could I could tell you so many things about Bulgaria, but honestly, if, if people are keen to do a hunt in Europe, that's the one to do. Um, I rate that so highly. And um, you've got a fair selection of species there, and it's, there's definitely the chance to hunt more than one species at once. You don't you don't have to go there and just target one. You can you can work it so that your your season overlaps for a few. So you might be able to go there and hunt reds and boars, or or mouflon and reds and boars, or something like that. Like there is a bit of variability. Um, so yeah, no, amazing. So yeah, just by chance, mate. That all happened by chance. I wasn't planning it this year. It was on the it was on the radar, but only happened because of that issue with with work and um after i went there the first time it was just that good i had to i had to go back as soon as i possibly could and that's what i did i went straight back after i went to work for a month and then went straight back there chasing chamois for for a week that's awesome and i think we might uh, uh, we might break that down there at some point we'll um i might get you back on and we'll um might do a bit of q a on on say bulk area and Maybe a few of the other sort of, you know, New Zealand, those kind of things, just how you go about booking you know, a bit yeah. of research stuff and that we might worry, um, mate. Yeah. I'm just I've been writing a bit of stuff down here as we're going, so <laughs> we'll, um yeah, we might have to get onto that. Any any time. No, sounds good. Mate, um look, you you're obviously very, very much involved and I think obviously people are gonna get um that don't know you are sort of gonna get the idea that you know, you, you well and truly got a, a footprint on, on the Australian bow hunting scene. You, you've got a, a lot to do with a couple of associations. You, you know, you're very highly held in the trophy takers. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, trophy takers is a is essentially a game rating body, um, which there's two of for for, um, for for bow shot animals in Australia. Everyone's familiar with um, ABA. And trophy takers, I guess, offers a bit of an alternative. It's it's really a game rating service. So we're a we're a we're a we're a club. We're a national club. Um, we've got a membership that covers all the states and territories. Um, and yeah, we we offer a, offer a service of game rating. We we have a awards weekend every year where we get together. So people generally travel from all parts of the country to um, to meet and get together for a weekend where we present the annual awards. Um, it's a, it's, it's for me really, it's, it, it brings back that real club scene that I guess I used to have when I was a kid with Tully yeah. Bowlers and that it, it's bringing people together, um, with similar ideals and similar, um, similar traits. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's definitely a social thing. A lot of it's, it's, um, it's a very, very social, um, atmosphere at the awards and, um, yeah, we love, 
a lot of people or a lot of guys these days don't um, aren't very interested in measuring game, and I fully respect that. Um, so a lot of people just don't really care what their deer measures or what their ball measures, and don't even bother. But a lot of us do, and um, a lot of us do get a do get some excitement out of measuring the trophies and and um, putting them in the record book. So that's what Trophy Takers offers. Uh, we put out a monthly, or not a monthly, but every few months we put out a newsletter with a few stories and a bit of an update. The membership's sort of slowly growing, um, and yeah, it's definitely. Um, I think I, I see us as a as a one of the one of the bodies in Australian archery and bow hunting that sort of promotes promotes bow hunting, and we are bow hunting specific. We're not we're not archery. We're not related to archery as a sport. We are 100% bow hunters and and for bow hunting um so yeah i i'm a, one of the directors of of trophy takers there's a few of us that are involved in that and um yeah we sort of keep the keep the pot simmering and always welcome new members and same with our awards it's, it's open to anyone so we always get different characters turning up each year at the, at the annual awards everyone's everyone's sort of welcome and it's always a bit of a get together it's sort of held in different places around the country each year we haven't decided on next year's location yet this year we're in Gympie in conjunction with the with the big trad shoot up there in Gympie um but yeah so just yeah if you want to check out the website uh we're at uh www.trophytakers.org so um there you can check out all the game ratings for all the different species we rate all the australian and south pacific species and and a few uh, quite a few international ones as well you can check out the, the previous newsletters and bits and pieces so it's very easy to become a member if you want to if you want to join in um it's really a good it's really all a good fun um, bunch of people guys and girls we've got quite a few female members now that are quite avid bow hunters um yeah, encourage you to check out the website. And if you have ever seen the articles in the magazines or the updates or um, thought about joining Trophy Takers, yeah, definitely encourage you to check it out and, and um, join in. It's um, yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun and a good good group of people. I'll throw that link in the uh, the show notes to the podcast as well, mate. So that'd um, be great. People will be able to check it out. And um, you know, and it's it's once again, you know, just it's it's just like like minded people, and you know, obviously when a good group of men and women alike get together you know you're always going to learn something as well and i think you know and i know that's why you're heavily involved with a lot of this stuff and you meant you mentioned it before it takes you back to your club days early on and and i had the same growing up and i think it's it's holding these sort of you know club things together still um will keep the sport healthy as well there's you know there's only so far it can go you know, I guess being on yeah on media, social media, and those kind of things. That's where the magazine, the clubs, and that that's that's what'll hold it all together. I think. Absolutely, you've still got to have that. You've, we've still got to have that connectivity at a social and um, at a real level. Um, yep. Social media has changed our our pastime forever. Like it's and it's not going anywhere. It's it, I can't imagine anything changing anytime soon. It's really um, changed uh, how we interact. It's it's brought a lot of positives, and I I also think it's brought some negatives as well in in terms of certain behaviours and and um and certain um yeah the way the way certain people have headed as a result of the impacts of social media on them. Um, there's definitely 
there's definitely some examples out there where I don't think the results have been totally positive. But it's here and it's here to stay. Things like trophy takers and, and having that club scene and, and having that chance to actually catch up once a year and yeah, it's it really it really it really sort of gives us a bit of a grasp on our past, I think, a bit too. Um, and we're one thing that I am concerned about, and I think about quite regularly, is as 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 a as a bow, as a community, as the Australian bow hunting community. I think we're very very quickly losing touch with our past. Um, I talk about this with some of my mates quite regularly, but. Um, I'm quite lucky in that I've been in this, I've sort of seen, I've, I was young enough, I was involved young enough to see the old school yep. and I'm still young enough now to know the new school and, um, it's a bit of I, a gap. yeah, and I, I'm, I'm concerned that we are already losing sight of our, of our past, of our very, very important past. There's guys, there's there's, pe- and there's people, or these days, because of the internet and social media and whatnot, it's so easy to quickly become an expert, or not become an expert, but, but very quickly go and buy a bow, well. <laughs> go, go, and, go and get a bow, get involved in social media, um, and suddenly become an entity all of a sudden without having sort of really achieved much or contributed much or have sort of or, or even have sort of understood much or, or know much of the past and that's not a bad thing I'm not saying that's bad I'm just saying that that's just a product of the way the world is in this day and age in 2017 um, and it worries me that we're, get, we're gonna quickly lose sight of um, of of our past we've we've, we've got to be We've got to celebrate our past. I think other sports do it quite well. Look at look at sports like footy and, and cricket and um, and other pastimes. They really really know how to celebrate their their heroes and their um, their forefathers um, and their past. Um, and we can't. We've got to make sure we do the same. I think. I think we've got yeah. to really. I think we've really got to. Um, yeah, be careful not to completely get lost in ourselves and 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 lose the plot and 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 forget about yeah what who 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 and what circumstances and what events led us to where we are today. And a big part of that is something that I'm very pleased to see happening is um, a good friend of mine, Ian Fenton, who's one of the really one of the um, pioneers of of bow hunting in Australia. He's really to me, he's the godfather. Um, has and his and his lovely wife Roma have put in a huge, huge effort over the last few years to put together um, a museum at their at their home in Bathurst. It's, it's called the Australian Archery Museum. Ian and Roma have put together an absolutely phenomenal display, uh, which is it's essentially a museum covering Australian archery and bow hunting history. Um, Ian's very well connected not only across Australia but across the world and he he knows everyone and he basically knows everything and he just works tirelessly to to get these things together he's just put together a Facebook page recently and I encourage everyone to check it out and give it a like and follow it some very interesting stuff coming out and we'll continue to do so if you just search um Australian Archery Museum you'll find it he's only 
just released um, or just put up that page in the last few weeks. I'm giving him a bit of a hand with it at the moment. But, um, yeah, I encourage you to check that out as well. Um, great opportunity to, yeah, to learn a little uh, – for a lot of people just to actually learn a little bit about our past and, yep. and um, yeah, to, to celebrate it. I, I think that's something that we've got to be mindful of um, as our sport develops and our, our, our culture develops into the future years. We've got a lot to look forward to, um, but we've got to be, we've got to celebrate and respect what happened before our time too. It keeps, I think, in, I think it just keeps in grounding, you know, because obviously a lot of people will understand from from. I definitely, you know, our conversation today is, you know, it's sometimes to a lot of us, it's not just a hobby or just something we do on the side, like, you know, um, like bow hunting for you or I and and a lot of like. You know, it, it kind of is our life, so it is important to us that you know we, we're interested in these things, and and it it's just important that everybody else that takes up the sport just has a little bit of respect for you know for the way yep. that we look at it, you know. And we, I love the people that come in and do it for a bit and come back and revisit and those kind of things, but you know we just don't want that taken away from us at the same time. Yeah, that's right. We don't want to be. It, it shouldn't be a yeah like a um. Yeah, it's it's yeah. You you pretty much know that there. We don't want it to be sort of a crash and burn thing where people just sort of, um, yeah, don't yeah. People come in and sort of become part of it and enjoy everything that we have to, um, to enjoy the 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 the, the exploits that we have and the hunting culture that we have and the the results of all the hard work and all the effort that's gone in over the years to 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 bring together what we've got today. Like there's been a lot go into it, and we've yeah we've got to be mindful and respectful respectful of of um, everything that's happened before us. So yeah, so I think I think it's gonna I think yeah with the museum and um, different things happening yeah I think um, we won't we definitely won't lose sight of the past. Definitely, mate. Look, and in short, you know, and and probably you know slightly starting to wrap it up you know where do you think and you've more or less have already said this but where do you think australian bow hunting's heading you know um do you see it do you see it heading in the right direction is there's obviously a couple things that we can always work on but you know how how do you see it yeah we seem to be we seem to be um we seem to be going in a fairly good direction of late there hasn't been as many a few years ago there was a a long spate of different dramas where there was native animals hit with hit with arrows ending up in the media every second week and there was quite a spate of different issues there for a, for a while but things have been relatively good lately my biggest my biggest concern is the is the disunity between all of us and the um we we are not doing ourselves any favors by not being together as one across yep. across not only all bow hunting not all not only all bow hunters but bow owners I class this as bow owners whether you're an archer or a or a or a hunter with a bow and many of us are both um, we are too fractured in our approach where we're members of different clubs there's 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 different bodies that will call themselves the peak organization of of such and such um, there's too many splits and fractures in the overall scene across Australia, and that does us no favours whatsoever um, moving forward. 
the people on the other side of the fence, the people that are out to get us, the antis, are quite the opposite. They're quite well organised. They're quite uh, unified and um, are quite are much more intelligent in their approach, really, to attacking us. And we've got to realise that they're, they are the sh- the sharks are circling. The sharks are circling, and they are. There are people out there actively working every day to try and bring this thing that we love so much to its knees. And um, we can't just rest on our laurels. Um, I think if you're a bow hunter, or you're a bow owner, or you're an archer, or whatever you may classify yourself as, if you are not a member of some national organization and your number is not being counted i think you need to really question yourself a bit and you need to do something about it um you need to be we need to be all counted so whether that's joining double s double a or 3d triple a or archery australia or aba or trophy takers or whatever it may be um or more than one um i think our numbers need to really be counted we need to First and foremost, we need to be a member of something to be. Rep- we need to be represented somehow. Um, I think in the future things will. I think there's, I, I'm probably getting a bit controversial, but I think there's probably a few cultural things that need to change in a few of the organisations. There's probably a few dinosaurs that are still around that need to always need got to move dinosaurs. on. Always got dinosaurs. Yeah, there's. I think once the new generation or the once a fresher generation starts to get involved in um, in some of the national organisations, there may be a new approach and more ability to to unify things a bit better. Um, the attitudes and the agendas in the past have not done us favours um, overall as a as a community, and um, I don't think it really can get any worse than what it has in the past. So I hope That's that. Um, yeah, I hope that the right people and the right brains come into play and have the right um, values at heart and, um, yeah, that things can improve. Um, I don't think we can – we all love this so much and it's going to be – like, look at look at, look at at Tasmania. We can't even bow hunt in Tasmania. So one of our states in our own country we can't bow hunt in. I think you can hunt rabbits or something, but mm. – one of the states in our own country we can't bow hunt in. So imagine if that happened in another state or another one again. You've got to look at the rest of the world too. There's not there's not many topics that are so um, that are so polarised where that whereby something can be completely illegal in one country and then you cross over the border and it's perfectly legal and totally normal. So there's so many countries in the world where it's legal and normal and accepted and so many countries where it's not legal to bow hunt. So you've got to really remember that in your, um, yeah, in all of our actions and all of our, um, everything we do. And yeah, we, I don't think we can just sit too comfortable in Australia. I think we've just got to be a little bit mindful. So I guess do your bit for, do your bit for promoting bow hunting in a good light and, um, and just be very mindful of, of the future. Um, I think, yeah, there's, there's so much to that conversation. But, yeah, I think that's one thing. I think the other thing I'd probably mention is I think we've got to be very um, – yeah, I don't want to be too sort of controversial, but I, I, Go think for it, mate. You're social, right. <laughs> I think the social media starting to see some slightly concerning um, – 
patterns and slightly concerning um, uh, occurrences in the social media scene and and in the way where way some of us are portraying ourselves and in and in, in the values of some of us, I think we've got to be. Um, I think we've got to remember always that. Um, I guess at the, the bottom line is bow hunting is purely an individual pursuit. Yep. Don't ever forget that bow hunting is an individual pursuit. You're not in a you're not in a hundred meter sprint. You're not playing footy. You're not playing cricket. You you you're purely doing this for yourself. There's and and I think um, sometimes we we forget that and we think that it's a bit of a competition, which it's which it's it's not, and there's no way that it can be. We can measure trophies and we can compare trophies, but that's that's not a that's not a competition. That's purely that's purely measuring an animal to see how big it is, and we've probably been doing that for hundreds of generations to some to some degree as we've hunted animals for food for for so long with bows. But um, I think we we can't lose sight of what we're what we're here to do. Um, I think we've got to be careful we don't lose lose. Um, um, we can't forget why we we do this for. We do it. We do it for our own personal reasons. Yeah. And, Keep chasing um, the adventure, not the likes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You've got to chase the adventure and your own dreams, and not not the likes. Yeah. Um, it's the next animal you stalk, whether it be a rabbit or a or a buffalo or a, or a bezoar ibex for you. Um, that animal doesn't care if you've got two million followers. It really doesn't. It, it really doesn't give a rat's ass if you've if you've got that many followers. It's it's all down to you and that animal and, and that experience. Yeah. And the reason um, you're sitting there you, stalking it. That's right. And if you, I think if you um, if you've got a list of in inverted commas haters as long as the list of as followers and you've had to you've had to poach and 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 piss people off and and um, burn bridges and um and and do the wrong thing over a period of time to to achieve what you achieve. Um, I think you've got to be you'd have to be you'd have to be you'd have, it, there must be a fairly hollow sort of feeling of looking back afterwards at, at those achievements. Um, I think you've we've got to yeah maintain our our self-respect and our respect for others. And I think as a community, we can be without the jealousy and the crap, we can be a lot more unified and um, yeah, there's going to be wankers no matter where you go. I'm sure, I'm sure if you go to a tennis club, there's probably wankers as well. <laughs> probably more of them. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I think it, it boils down to people's personal, um, yeah, with, with, with the, with the jealousy stuff that comes out, it boils down to people's personal ish, internal issues um, and I, I've been a witness to it and I've been a, I've seen it and, um, yeah, I, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see less of it in our sport. Yeah, um, I know plenty of, I think we should be more celebrative of each other's achievements and, and credible, credible achievements. Yeah. Um, I think we should be more supportive of each other and, and, um, yeah, just be, be more Aussie about how we how we portray ourselves and how we treat each other and how we do things, I think would, would go a long way to promoting our sport better. And, um, yeah, I just don't, and unfortunately with, within our sport, there's a lot of, 
is a lot of bullshit and I don't really like it. And I know a lot of other blokes that don't really like it either. Or I shouldn't say blokes, I should say people. But um, I think do your own thing. Be happy with other people's or celebrate other people's achievements. And, um, yeah, celebrate celebrate your own as well and enjoy each other's company and enjoy the bush. And, um, yeah, there's just so much to there's so much to love about boning and so much to enjoy and um we, i don't think i think some of the time we could probably do with a little less of the crap but um well, i try to avoid it anyway mate and i think you do too i think you managed yeah, to avoid it definitely mate i mean these these platforms you know obviously you're going to be open to a little bit of it but you know 99 percent of the time it's it's unreal mate wise words there and you know and i can and everyone else i'm sure will as well we you know we can we can hear the passion in your voice for the sport and you know, really appreciate you just you know just opening up and and just, and just being as raw as you are, um, you know, and and when you get in deep like that, it um, you know it just shows you how much you do have a love for the sport and it has it's certainly been your life. So I do appreciate that, mate. Um, no worries, mate. What is next on Ben Benny's list? What's the bucket list? What's yeah. the hole for us? What can we expect? Well, that's a very interesting question because. Um yeah, as we talked about briefly before, you and I are about to, or both yeah. of us are about to hunt the same, or technically the same species in the only two different parts of the world at almost exactly the same time. <laughs> and we're, I think we're probably the first Aussie blokes to ever um, hunt we're this pro- species. We would be the with the bow, I think. We would be with the bow. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, maybe, maybe people have hunted them with a rifle i'm not too sure but yeah definitely with a bow i can't think of anyone that's hunted them with a bow but yeah that's very exciting um i was was lucky enough to win a hunt with um in a raffle with grand slam club overs earlier this year um was a member for about three years and had my name drawn out of the barrel this year which i was very excited about i won a uh, roosevelt elk hunt and um i wasn't too keen on roosevelt elk um I just wasn't really on the on the list. So with with GSCO, you can sort of swap to whatever you want. If your name gets drawn, you can swap to any hunt in the world. So I could basically pick um, any hunt in the entire world to put the credits towards. And, um, yeah, I decided to put it towards a Bezoir Ibex, and they've always been high on the list, and I really love the Capra species of the world. I love Ibex. Uh, the Bezoir is sort of one that's uh, achievable with a bow over in Turkey there. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's next, mate. I go there in February. I've got a new bow. My bow blew up in in Bulgaria the other day. One of the translators picked it up and tried to pull it back when I wasn't watching and blew it up, oh, no. which was a major disaster on the third day. So I ended up hunting with a replacement bow for the rest of that hunt. That's a totally different story. But anyway, I've got a new <laughs> bow coming from Expedition. It should be here hopefully in the first week of January, and I'll have January to tune it and um, get everything set up. Um, and then head over to Turkey in February, so for 10 days chasing Bezwar. So that's going to be, I would say that's probably going to be the second toughest hunt I've attempted, and yep. I haven't got very high expectations. I, I, I know that I could easily come away from that hunt without firing an arrow, Yep. Um, but I'll just throw everything at it as usual and, and um, see what happens. And I'm very excited to see how you go. That's really, really, really crazy what you're up to. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm super pumped, mate. I, just, I actually got my first photo through last night um the boys are down there glassing now as we speak so um that was pretty cool i got a photo of the south end of the floridas so 
Uh, yep, it's as crazy as I thought it was going to be. So <laughs> that's really epic, mate. Like that's really for me in 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 the in the US. Like that's that's really up there with hunting a sheep. I think that's really special. You're so lucky to have drawn that tag. And um, yeah, I, I got to be honest. To you know, I I didn't. I probably didn't realise what I had uh, when I initially drew it because I just threw my name in the hat for the sake of it. I I just sent it there and I was like, it's kind of shits and giggles. Like, yeah, I'll go for that. You know, if you've already paid your your license fee so you know it's only 50 bucks extra to throw your money in the hat so to speak and uh yeah i pulled it and i thought geez that's cool i'm going to be chasing these ibex and you know over the last six months it's it's really i've had messages from guys that have found out i got the tag and they said mate that's (laughs) that's a ridiculous hunt like you're going to have a blast like and the best thing is you know i'm going into it with no expectations of as you just said drawing an arrow i'm told that i'll be watching them all day um yeah I'll be seeing them all day, just been able to get into position and those kind of things. And, you know, you, you just, unless you're on the mountain, you don't know what's going to happen. So, no, I'm, That's I'm exactly it. really going to look forward to it. If other people have done it, you can too. It's as simple Definitely. as that. If other if other guys have done it, and I I was actually struggling to fall asleep last night. I had too much on my mind last night, and I was just Googling and researching and checking things out. And I checked a few photos out from the Florida mountains, and there's plenty of guys that have shot absolutely gigantic ibex out of there so yeah, there was a gigantic there was a giant shot in october with the bow um he it's a i think it was one of the ones that were kind of known on the mountain um, oh yeah. yeah and a bloke and a bloke smacked it from a i think he's about 80 yards he nailed it if if anyone else can do it you can you can do it you've, you've got just as good a chance as anyone else if you're if you're shooting well I'm, i know your fitness will be sweet so you'll be um anything could happen mate it's no, very we'll exciting. A, we're going to give it a red hot crack, mate. It's um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of was a bit surreal. Obviously, I had elk in that all September and that, so that kind of kept me mind off it. But um, yeah, I'm only nearly. I think I'm only three weeks out flying. I think I fly out on yeah. the 11th, so it um, that's going to come quick. So I'm going to I'm going to yeah. Bring in terms here of other before... things, yeah, like in terms of other species, I yeah, just quickly, I the main goals really now i've sort of got a fairly specific list of species that i've that are left that i want to hunt before i die um it's not an endless list and it's not a list that's growing rapidly like i've sort of um i've done a fair bit now and i sort of i'm happy with where i'm at but yeah there's still a few to go i'd I'd really like to achieve the south pacific 15 that's one of my Mm -hmm. goals yeah um two of my two of my best mates have done that with uh, maca and Paulie Southwell both achieving that um, this year, which is just absolutely phenomenal. The two first bow hunters to ever achieve the, the 15. Um, so I really, I'm, I'm going to Stewart Island next year with a bunch of boys to, to chase the whitetail down there. Nice. And eventually, someday, I'll, I'll attempt to hunt seeker in New Zealand and, and Wapiti in New Zealand. They're the, they're the three last species for the 15. So I think in the next 10 years, I'd, I think I'd like to think that I can try and um tackle those those I'll species i'll give you two years mate and you'll have that done i reckon uh, no, it'll be a bit longer than that the other interest that i have is i'd really love to have the different um bovine species of the world i'd, I'd love to i really like bovines um I'd, yeah they're they're just elaborate on just elaborate on bovine for everyone bovine as in as in the the buffaloes and and the the the, the cattle of the world so for me, there's, there's a few in Australia. We've got the water buffalo or the Australian water buffalo, the bantang, the scrub bull. Um, there's a slightly different type of water buffalo that lives in Argentina. 
Um, I've got those four. Um, and for me, in my little slam, remaining would be the bison, the Cape buffalo in Africa, and the um, and the muskox. So they're, they're three species that are high on the list. I'd love to hunt Cape buff one day, and I know that's a dream of many people, and I've, I've got a mate that's that's done that, Corey Nash. He's, he's nailed one, so it can be done. Definitely. Um, and the, the, the bison, I think, will be pretty doable at some stage. Probably when I'm older, I can do that when I'm an old fart. <laughs> and the, um, the musk ox in Greenland is really high on the list. That's a, yeah. it's a quite a special hunt over there. Yeah, I think it's, it's more the. I think it's the country too. I think it's going to Greenland and with a bow. I yeah. think that's yeah, just a blowout, absolute blowout. And it's it's the, the the guys there have really sort of got it nailed down now. And it's um, plenty of guys have done it. It's 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 still a massive adventure to get it just to get there and to to hunt in that sort of country will be yeah. mind-boggling. And you got the, the caribou there as well. Well, they're actually reindeer, but um, that's definitely on the bucket list. So that, I'd, I'll put that in the next ten years for sure. Um, I think, other than that, um, I do dream of taking the Grand Slam of, of, of North American sheep, but I, it's probably unachievable. Um, I would like really to hunt a doll sheep before I die. Um, Did you I have think that'll be your it. raffle tag? Were you going to do a doll sheep? Yeah, I thought about it, mm. and I just it was just going to be too much coin at that point in time. Yeah. So that was my original plan, and I I could have. They did offer me a really good deal for this year, but I just didn't have the coin um, available to make it happen for this year. And they said, well, if you can't do it this year, well, next year it's going to be much more expensive. And okay. Yeah, it just didn't pan out. So I decided to go for the Bezoir instead. Yeah, why not? Uh, the the doll sheep's still on the agenda. Uh, the stone sheep and, and, and desert sheep, I don't think will be achievable unless I win the lotto or um, or I draw a hunt out of a raffle, yeah. one of yeah. those two. Oh, yeah. which, but the, if I start going in the gold lotto, the first one will be a possibility, but I don't, so it's unlikely. So maybe I'll maybe I'll get be lucky and get my name drawn out. <laughs> you uh, wouldn't know. And well, yeah, I just... like I... Yeah, you just never know. There's, there's, there's guys that have drawn hunts three times. There's guys that have yeah. won four sheep hunts in that club. So, That's yeah, crazy. I highly recommend that for anyone that wants to do a sheep hunt that that is unlikely to be able to fork out the cash in in a hurry. That's a really. I'm not a gambling man. I don't. I I have no interest in pokies, and I I don't. I hate casinos. I just. I'm really. I'm useless at a lot of things, and gambling is one of them. It's really <laughs> high on the list. It's not a bad thing to get to be hopeless so that's, at, mate. That's the only gambling I do is I put in me hundred bucks a month for the for the GSCO raffles, and that gives me a chance at two awesome hunts every month. And you just never know when your name could be drawn out. It's happened to me already, so I, I highly recommend getting involved. That's it. But and I think moving on, like yeah, there's yeah, there's a few species in North America and whatever. But I think after that, um, I think I'll probably go back to trad. I'd say when I'm older, I think I can imagine myself as an old fella. Shooting a recurve or a longbow and um, back up in yeah, the Cape, pot- mate. Pottering around up the Cape, maybe with kids mm. or sounds grandkids. Right. I made a promise to myself when I was very young that I'd shoot a chittle stag with a longbow okay. off a cliff, and um, that's one thing that I will definitely do before I die. I'll, I definitely want to get a chittle for cliff before I. You'll make that up with a longbow. Yeah, I'll make that happen. Yeah, so I think as I think it'll sort of, I think I'll 
achieve a few more goals with the with the compound, then um, then just go back to full trade, which some of my mates already have recently. Best mate Rod Collings has already done that. He's gone back to full trade, so Rodney and I can cruise around and. How's he, how's he get that done in between his fishing? I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. He's a very busy man. He's oh, a yeah. career man, and he's yeah, he's flat out fishing everywhere, and he's yeah, but he's also just yeah, very proficient with a longbow too. So yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, well mate, thank you yeah, very that's, much. That's that's, yeah, no that worries, is, mate. It Why has not? been a. Uh, Mate, definitely one of the best. I um I can't thank you for just you know opening up and just being as as I said before, just being as raw as you you have been, mate, and and the passion shines through. And mate, I know that you've got hundreds and hundreds of stories, and and I'm sure we're gonna we'll get them out over you over the time, mate. But um I definitely want to yeah catch back up and and talk about Bulgaria and and maybe a bit of New Zealand and that as well, because I you know you're very successful there over the last couple of years, so. Mate, I, I just yeah can't thank you enough. Not a worry at all, mate. It was my um my pleasure, and um while I've got you good on you for doing what you're doing, you're um yeah I haven't I haven't listened to every one yet. I listened to the first four or five, and I've missed the last few because I've just been absolutely flat out. I haven't I haven't known which way I was up and down the last few months <laughs> or the last few weeks. But you're doing a very good job, and it's a it's a credit to you. Um, it's an interesting direction for for bow hunting media in australia and there was definitely a gap there and i think you've filled it well thanks man. um yeah i think it's the first the, the ones i've listened to were awesome really really awesome i really enjoyed listening to each one of them each of those different different individual um chats um the thing is that we with this type of media we we're an interesting bunch we're very unique because we <laughs> in this country we mostly know each other we know of each other or know each other to some degree because of our small population and the relatively small community, but we don't get to hang out with each other very often and we don't get to talk very often. We some, Sometimes we all catch up at different shows like the Wild Deer Show and different expos and we'll sort of get have a bit of a yarn, but it's all a bit of a blur and it disappears pretty quick, whereas this, chat, this gives people a real opportunity to, yeah, to speak their, to, to, to sort of speak their thoughts and gives people an opportunity to um, hear from different personalities and um, yeah we don't get to do that um, generally um, and I know there's been a few others pop up recently that are a few other Aussie podcasts in the hunting scene pop up um, but this one's definitely um, yeah definitely killing it you're keeping it real and you're keeping it Australian and I think that's what we've got to keep doing where we are Australian bow hunters <laughs> yeah and we can't forget that and you're yeah this has been very Australian so far and yeah I look forward to seeing more from more from um from this show so good on you mate well done yeah cheers mate yeah i'm loving the platform it's it's good and you know just getting to you know as you you just nailed it on the head you know getting to chat to guys that you you know you probably wouldn't have chatted to before or you would have had to wait to that show um so that's 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 really what i'm liking and and you know today's a great proof of you know just how easy it is to get out there and and get out get after some of these you know pretty crazy adventures that we we get ourselves involved in and yeah. that's really what I want to share of you know share the stories and share how how easy it is actually to do if you if you're going to put your mind to it so yeah no we'll, there's we'll endless keep going down that track yeah that's it mate and there's endless content you've got endless endless content to cover um, for the future it's just it's just completely endless the different things you can talk about and the different people you can talk to and it'll give me a 
Yeah, it'll give me an excuse to get back into the gym and start exercising again and get ready for that next hunt so I can catch up on a few of these podcasts again because that's the only chance I'll get to listen to them. So, well, um, sounds good, yeah, man. Good well, you, um, after your next session of work, mate, and um, and I'm definitely going to get you on as soon as you finish your IBEX, mate. We might have a uh, might have an IBEX uh, debrief. debrief, debrief, I think, and <laughs> probably how much how much I hated it. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, it's going to be awesome, mate. So, mate, thank you again. And uh, and safe travels for wherever you're heading next, mate. Good on you, mate, and best of luck for January, hey? Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Easy. See ya. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hunting Camp Down Under. Send me a direct message with any general questions or further information on any of the topics that were discussed during the podcast. Or if you have a great story to tell and would like to share it, be sure to hit me up. I'd love to have you on the podcast. You can also email me at huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com. That's it from me this week. May the hunting gods be with you on your next adventure. Bye for now.